If you've already coped with an adversity, you've learned within yourself that you have that capacity. It also comes down to self-reflection, like the ability to look at yourself and see what you're doing and be your best supporter, but also be able to say, hey, that didn't work, try it again. And, you know, the ability to put up your hand and, uh, and ask for help, recruit help. Hello, I'm Andrew May, and welcome to another episode of the NAB Business Fit Podcast, where we talk to experts and leaders in a range of fields, delving into their world to look at lessons that can be applied to running a small business. We have conversations about how they have adapted, how they've adapted the way they work, the way they live, and we share stories to help us navigate through challenging times. Joining me today is our second, second time guest. Our first, second, second time guest was Dr. Tom Buckley talking about burnout. Today, it's back by popular demand, Dr. Nicola Gates. Dr. Nicola is a leading clinical neuropsychologist, neuroscience researcher, and best-selling author. She has worked in brain and cognitive health and well-being for over 25 years, and she translates complicated theory. I can tell you, I see some of it. It's highly complicated. I don't understand a lot of it, which is why I'm so glad Nicola is the consultant to government bodies and services, private corporations and businesses, and not me when it comes to all this stuff around neuroscience. You see her regularly on the TV, hear her on the radio, and read her in print magazines. On top of this, Dr. Nicola is the Strive Stronger Neuropsychologist, and she's an amazing sounding board and co-presenter with me on a number of our corporate wellbeing and leadership programs, including Mental Skills Academy. Nicola, we're going to talk about that today. You can discover Nicola's personal story specific to resilience, neuroplasticity, and having a growth mindset by listening to episode 13. Today, however, we're going to be very tactical, very practical, discussing all things COVID and psychological wellbeing. Big introduction, I could have done a whole lot more. Welcome back. <laughs> it's great to be here, Andrew. And you know what? I like the name, um, The Brain Nerd. I think that's the best way to sum up my contribution. First time I've heard you say that, we did a Brady Bunch type video where we had all of our staff for 30 Day Boost, which is a program we're doing now to help businesses, small businesses, government agencies through COVID as it continues to go on and on and on. And it's the first time I've heard you say that and everyone cracked up laughing. I want to talk about three things today, maybe four, the brain nerd will add to it. So the first frame is why is it so much harder this time round specifically to our brain? And we'll tap into the brain nerd on that. And, and if I can pull out of you a couple of simple tips for those people who are really struggling, and there's lots. Second part today, you said this to me last week in a meeting and I've been thinking, it's been rattling around in my monkey brain, Dr. Nicola. We catch up and there's so many open loops and I think about it. But this one, you said mental health is not just mental illness. I think that's such a poignant quote. Let's explore that. And we're going to talk about training mental skills. So the first bit though, why is it so much harder this time around? Or do you want to explore a little bit more about the brain nerd? Tell me about that. Uh, it'll thread through all of it, Andrew. Okay. I can't okay. help myself. Always, always, always a nerd. Yeah, I gave us a frame because we could talk for 90 minutes. So I think somewhere in between 60 minutes, we'll cover those three things. So yeah, sorry. Yeah, so the brain nerd's always there. So you're saying, why is it harder now? I think one of the things that's making it really difficult is the lack of clear leadership. And I don't mean that in any sort of political way. What I'm saying is there's so much uncertainty. And this is the brain nerd stuff. We know that when people are uncertain, their fight and flight stress response gets triggered. So the ground feels like it's shifting. It's really hard to be strategic and use the frontal lobe of, of your brain, the part in by your forehead. It's really hard to use that strategically to make plans, to set goals, because there's so much uncertainty around. And then my research shows me that people aren't just worried about the COVID. 
But they're also worried about the climate at the moment because currently as we speak, thankfully not in Australia at the moment, we aren't having floods and fires, but they are all around the world. And there's been a lot of information in the media about climate change, the climate crisis and all those things. So they've got two big things going on of which people don't have control. And that triggers the, the, an, an emotional response, a fear response that disempowers them to use their brains, to, as I said, to set goals and be strategic. So that's principally, I think, why people are finding it harder. In addition to the things that they experienced in the first lockdown, which is that just the change with where you're working and that the fact that we can't visit friends and loved ones, we can't connect in the ways that we've usually connected. We can still, but it requires adjustment. So it's those things as well. When we spoke last year, when we put the original 30-day boost program together, uh, it was March, April, May in 2020. It was almost novel, you know, this whole working from home, can't go into the office, hey, I'm going to wear leisure wear. You know, I may not even wear pants. Shorts became the uniform for so many people. You know, downstairs uh, shorts and upstairs more business. And this time, though, it's not novel. And whether we got through last time because we'd had that glue, we had the culture, we'd seen people, we'd seen family, and that had given us a reserve to draw upon. But this time around, it's not fun. It's not novel. The longer this goes, you know, Sydney, we're getting into months now of lockdown. Uh, some reports say we may not be out of lockdown until Christmas. As you said, whether it's environmental warning or lockdown, we can't control that. Really important to focus on what we can control, not what we can't. That said, it can become overwhelming for people. You throw in homeschooling. I know we're in between homes at the moment. We're in a two-bedroom house with three kids and a dog and homeschooling. And it's testing some of my psychological reserve. Uh, but it is hitting people so much harder, isn't it, this time around? Absolutely. And it's going, it's long. It's much longer than last time. And the fact that there's no end in sight is, I think, becoming a, a real burden to people. Yeah, you, you said in the last interview, because I listened to it on a bike ride this morning, actually, so I've got to be careful to not mix up the questions for the two. But you said human beings don't like two things. We don't like big numbers and we don't like not knowing what's happening. We don't like ambiguity. And that is, that is happening, right? So at the moment, a lot of people are listening to Gladys Berejiklian's New South Wales updates, or it could be uh, Dan Andrews' uh, Victorian updates at the moment on a daily basis. So one of the things we're saying to people in our corporate programs is stop listening to the media constantly and maybe get a quick fix of a morning, a quick dose. There's one thing, Nicola, one thing Donald Trump said that I will quote on this podcast, and that was CNN. He called it constant negative news. Not bad for Donald, everything else scrap. But it's true, right? If you if you read the paper first thing in the morning or it's our, now on our mobile phone or listen to the news on radio or watch the breakfast morning shows, it fills us with all the negative stuff happening and we can get into a spiral during the day. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the strategies that is recommended is to insulate yourself from that or prepare yourself. So like make a designated time when you're going to update yourself with what's happening in the world or around the COVID numbers or anything else. But do it in a way where you, you might be doing something nice or relaxing afterwards. And it sounds weird to prepare yourself for the news or prepare yourself for this, but I think because we're surrounded by negativity. It's really important to quarantine it, contain it, um, and, and be really careful about your sources because one of the other things, I mean, people uh, don't like big numbers, but the big numbers that we get shown are other negative big numbers. We're not actually told about all the other people that have been vaccinated and haven't got anything. So there are those other big numbers that can actually 
reassure us and we're not given those. Um, so maybe think about saying to yourself, okay, so I know it's this many, but they tested 75,000 today and 69,802 actually are fine. So perhaps flip that for yourself to talk about those. So some of those big numbers become reassuring, but really look at your source of information because a lot of it out there isn't helpful. Um, so control your access, but make sure that your source is reasonable. Something I've also been thinking about that I wanted to, to check in with you, and you work with a range of people. You work from high court judges. Now, as a psychologist, you can't talk about people you work with and names and even company names, but I'll, I'll be broad, right, umbrella approach. But you work with high court judges and entrepreneurs and startups and CEOs and people we see on TV and movies and actors, and, and you work with people- And just and, and ordinary people mums, like myself. Mums, dads, pe- ordinary people like me, uh, and then people on compensable insurance as well who've been mm-hmm. stuck in that, that rehabilitation cycle. So you see the whole spectrum. Why is it? Why is it? I, I caught up with a CEO friend last week, had a walk and a coffee. He's really struggling. He's a strong, like outwardly strong, sort of muscly guy, was a very good athlete. It's someone I thought would be fine. Like he's got good means, good house, good family, but he's really struggling. And then, then some other people who you think may really take this hard seem to be fine. And I know this is a, a much bigger question, but why are we all coping so differently? And you can't tell who's going to cope well and who's not going to cope well. Yeah, you probably can pick some people perhaps better than others, but the, principally it's because we've all had, we've come from different life experiences and some people are just more resilient. And it's funny, I was thinking about this myself this week because I, I saw someone who on a scale of things, and I don't mean to diminish their experience, but they come had a paper cut compared to other people who I've had the pleasure to meet um, who've had severe catastrophic injuries. So it really comes down to a couple of things. One is past experience. So if you've already coped with an adversity, you've learned within yourself that you have that capacity. It also comes down to the self-reflection, like the ability to look at yourself and see what you're doing and, and be your best supporter, but also be able to say, hey, that didn't work, try it again. And, you know, the ability to put up your hand and, uh, and ask for help, recruit help. So I'm going to ask you to go into a couple of sessions you've maybe had in the last couple of weeks and to draw out some of the tips you've given a, a few of the people that you've seen to give you time to scramble and maybe come up with a few of those. I'll, I'll give you something I spoke about here in this studio visit last week on ABC News Breakfast. We were talking about lockdown jet lag that so many people right now, Nicola, feel like they've got jet lag. And in fact, one of my female clients, she said, Andrew, it's like I have got a constant case of jet lag, just I haven't been given the Qantas pyjamas and definitely no champagne on the tarmac. And I cracked up laughing. And then I said, that is so right, what so many people have. And I dug deeper into it. And we did a segment on ABC. It's because our body clocks are so out of whack. So I think before you give some of the tips, just for people listening to this, get your body back in sync. You know, that suprachiasmic nucleus, little pea size. Uh, organ that sits in in our brain, which helps us look look around light and dark and everything. We we've mucked it up. We're on Zoom meetings or Teams meetings all day. We see this with our thirty day boost. People aren't getting their ten thousand steps. They're not getting sunlight. It's not stimulating the pineal gland to release serotonin. You know, then at night we're watching TV and bright lights, so we're not releasing melatonin. We've just totally stuffed up our body clock. 
And Nicola, I, I went on to say, at the moment for a lot of us, it's like that period in between Christmas and New Year, which I love every year because I'm normally up on the Gold Coast with family and gee, I hope I can get up there this Christmas. But you don't know what day it is. And I can remember saying to my mum, oh, is it Tuesday? And she said, no, I think it's Wednesday. It was actually Thursday. This is Christmas just gone by. And the reason why between Christmas and New Year, we have no idea what day it is. We're not working like we normally do. We're not going to the office. I run my week often with the kids and with my fitness and sport. Michaela does swimming on a Monday. Archie does soccer. I do yoga with my partner on a Tuesday. Then we have date night and then Archie has soccer Wednesday. The rest of the week goes on. Cycle squad with my mates in Centennial Park on a Friday. At the moment, I've got no idea what it is. Mickey's not swimming because pools are closed. Archie's not playing soccer apart from kicking the ball with me. Uh, I'm riding with one mate on a weekend inside our 10-kilometre zone. But it's like that period between Christmas and New Year. So... A couple of tips, just try and get some normality around you. Bookend the start of your day and end of the day with a walk, get some sunshine and go to bed and get up at the same time every single day makes a huge difference. I stuffed that up during the Olympics because I was up every night you know, watching Shinya and watching our, our wonderful Olympic athletes, but I've got back into rhythm. And I must admit, I did that segment last week and I felt jet lagged and I knew what I was doing because the Olympics was on, but you know, draw a line in the sand, get on with it. We just got to get back into routine. So that's some of the more of the physical or environmental tips people can do. What are some of the discussions you've had recently? Well, it's so funny because you sounded like a brain nerd for a while there, Andrew. You hey. become like the people you hang around, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking, I'm so pleased he's talking about book ending his day and then all of a sudden you come out with book end your day. So, yeah, your routines and your rhythms are so important and I think they're easy to take for granted. But they, they cue you not only to orientate you to what day of the week it is, but they just cue, they're, they're, the, they're the signposts in the rhythm of your life. And when you drift away from those, it's really easy to feel that there's more change and more unpredictability than there actually is. So they're really important to sort of anchor you down and, and give you some, uh, some base. And one of the things we're doing in this house is, or rather I should, maybe I should say I'm doing, is um, we have Cake Wednesday. And on Cake Wednesday, I make the favourite cake of my family members. So everyone's given me their list of their favourite cakes that I've ever made. And every Wednesday I make them a cake. So we know it's the middle of the week because like you, it's it's there's a bit of a drift. And- oh, okay. So keep us, get us dribbling. What have the cakes been? <laughs> the cakes. You can't just go, it's favourite cake and everyone's sitting there dribbling thinking, what oh. is it, a hummingbird cake? No, she's the brain nerd. She would have a really healthy cake and it would have organic buckwheat and heaps of, you know, oh, vegetables. And- no, no, absolutely not. These are pure dopamine, endorphin, oxytocin enhancing cakes. Okay, well, here's what's your favourite cake? Then we'll go, what's your husband's Well, the one I've made kids? today, because um, I know, you know, you, you keep talking about carbs. Well, the cake today is perfect for you, Andrew, because there's actually no flour in it at all. Woohoo! It's, it's six it's, weeks shredded, approved cake. It's protein, yeah. Nice. What else has it got in it? Yeah, so eggs, butter, chocolate and sugar. Don't know whether it would be six weeks shred approved. But in the context of a very healthy diet and exercise, these, you know, food is a pleasure. And um, and that's why we get such a big rush when we eat really well. We eat um, healthily to support our immune system and our brain, but also when we have treats, and I I call them sometimes food. So this is a sometimes food happens on Wednesday. Wizard is licking his lips. He's just sitting there <laughs> thinking, oh, well, oh, don't you wish Nicola was in the studio with us like last time, not uh, remote? Well, I might have to do that next time. Bring a cake. 
but on a serious note, it's actually one of the things I've been telling my clients to do because the young woman I spoke to yesterday actually said, I feel like Groundhog Day. Um, she's working from home. She's in a new position. She'd only started the company in January. So she hasn't really got a big network within the organisation that she's in. She's working from home. Um, she's drinking a lot more than she'd like to. But she said to me on multiple occasions, Groundhog Day, Groundhog Day. Um, and I said to her, just to try and, you know, that light relief in Shakespearean style, um, I like to make a joke or, you know, say something that might sound frivolous, even though there's lots of science behind it. I said, well, why don't you do Bake a Cake Day as well? So we talked about that. So changing the meal, have a picnic. You know, go on a family picnic. You've got kids. Have a picnic dinner. You know, put literally put a blanket down in the lounge and have a picnic because not every day is becoming the same. So there are things that you can do just to shake it up and have a novel experience because, and this goes for, you know, the lack of date night. One of the things, I was just thinking of a client I had um, literally two hours ago and he's 85 um, and he's just, the, his relationship's going really stale because they've always gone to art galleries and theatre and things like that and they're not having enough joy time as a couple. I think I just, I don't mean this patronisingly, but, you know, 85-year-old worried about the quality of your marriage after at this age. I think that says so much about that client. I love it. So, so we talked about how do you have a date night at home? And I said, well, why don't you, you know, Uber Eats is new for older generations, not for younger generations. And I said, why don't you do a black tie dinner? Uber Eats black tie dinner. The two of you dress up like you used to. And so this is all about creating occasions. Mm. Okay. Creating positive occasions. Now, you've mentioned a couple of the things that I'll be recommending. You know, even if you don't go for a walk, because Andrew's always going to say exercise, exercise, which is true, and I completely endorse, but just getting outside. So, you know, if you haven't got a back garden to sit in, just go outside, literally go and stand in your driveway, get outside, get some fresh air, get some vitamin D, look at something green, look at some trees, look at some grass. You know, we're allowed to drive some, you know, maybe five kilometres if you're in an LGA, you know, if you're going to do your shopping, think about a park or a green mass or something in, in that trip, park your car, maybe not even get out of the car, but if you can, just get outside. There's so much research to show that being in nature turns down the stress response. It's also really grounding. And when there's so much unpredictability and so forth, it's really important to ground yourself and sort of feel like you've got yourself, you've literally got your feet on solid ground um, mm. and make that natural. I've been doing that with Michaela on a Tuesday morning because we had a little daddy-daughter connection, which was swimming. On a Monday, where well, I'd always get to swimming early, we'd swim together, um, you know, a bit of a play swim, and she'd go off and do her squad. I'd do a few laps, and then we'd you know, go get Archie from soccer. And we weren't doing that, and because you know Archie's like me, you know, he can't sit still. So we we're swimming and everything, and Michaela's not. And she said, "Dad, can we have our daddy-daughter time on a Tuesday morning?" And it's been great. So this came from the words of a thirteen-year-old. So every Tuesday morning, we're going for a walk together. We get up at six thirty, we leave, and we go, and I'll get a coffee, and she'll have a chia seed smoothie if they have it or a smoothie and it's been awesome and so i know it's tuesday now because it's walk day with mickey yeah so so these these rituals and they, they might be covid rituals but they're really really important and they're the things that bring us joy and it's and one of the things everything feels like groundhog day because it's same same and same 
And, you know, it does, it takes effort and it takes imagination. So some of the other things I've suggested is, you know, having Zoom, If you, I mean, if you're living alone and you're not with family, actually organise Zoom dinners or something where you sit down with your friends. Have Zoom movies, like contact your friends and you all sit down and watch the same movie and make your popcorn or whatever it might be and watch the movie together and talk to each other, share, build shared experiences so that you feel connected, you're not isolated, but also you're creating some positive memories and, and novel experiences, really important. Yeah, some great ideas. And they're simple things, right? But when we are feeling tired and fatigued and this constant extension of lockdowns and moving and moving and moving, I had a conversation yesterday with a client and he said, oh, Andrew, it's just so draining. It's never going to end. I said, well, focus on what you can control. I said, I know it's an obvious control the controllables. Every sporting team in the world now has that as a part of their game plan, control what you can control, but you really do have to do that. And then if we just summarize what we've spoken about, it's rituals, sort of putting stuff in your week, uh, walks, get outside, date nights, connection, connecting with your community and fun. I love that story about 85 year old worried about the spark in their marriage. Probably a lot of people thinking this going, God, 85, why are you worried about it? Something You're doing something, right? But it's such a, a wonderful insight into why someone is 85 for their longevity, but also a healthy relationship. You've got to make an effort, right? And I, and I see that, I'm sure you see that in a lot of relationships. And I'm not a relationship counsellor, absolutely. My partner will tell you that for sure. But invariably, when you start coaching people, relationships gets into it because I often say, especially to athletes, where do you leak energy? And if you've got a relationship and you're leaking lots of energy, it shows up in other parts of your life. And I think it's really hard right now for a lot of relationships. We're in each other's pockets, whereas before people have been able to go away and then come back and you almost miss each other or you did. Whereas now it's like, oh, hey, how was your day? Well, I was next to you, dipshit. You know, we did <laughs> working from the same table. So I think relationships are being redefined, aren't they, right now? Patience is being redefined. Being present is being redefined and probably a little bit of compassion. Yeah, and, and one of the things I guess I'm thinking through all of that is that boundaries conversation we had in the previous 30-day boost. And that's probably important to flag again here as well, that, you know, maybe you do need to, one of you work in the bedroom and one in the kitchen, just so you have some space and be able to, to call that space out when you need to, because, you know, that in itself can re-energize everybody when you have some time out. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much more we can go through because really we're talking a lot about mental skills. Brain nerds love mental skills. And we've got a mental skills academy that we are going to talk about with 12 essential mental skills. And uh, Q Wizard, we'll get Archie in. So I'm going to get my 10-year-old son in. We're going to try and make some game show entertainment engagement on a podcast, Nicola. It'll either work really well or it might fall <laughs> abysmally, but we'll give it a go. But before we do that, uh, we said point number two was going to be talking about mental health is not just mental illness. Can you please pick up on that? Thank you, because it's so important because people often hear the word mental health and they automatically think of mental illness, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia and things like that. Mental health actually means not having those things. So it's just it's a shame that in some ways it's got that sort of negative connotation. And I like to explain it like you're in a boat. And, you know, if you've got a mental health 
issue like stress or overwhelming issues where it's become anxiety or depression, your, your boat's leaking and you need psychological therapy or psychiatric assistance or something to plug the leaks of your boat. So you've got your boat and, you know, and let's face it, a significant portion of the population will experience a leaky boat at some point in their life. So you need the skills and the assistance to help you plug the leak. But the thing beyond that is what people don't allow themselves to do. So they've plugged up their boat, but then they're sitting in a harbour and they're not going anywhere, which means, you know, you're just sitting there waiting for the next storm. So you get more leaks in your boat. The idea is to plug the leaks in your boat and then you need to put the wind in the sails so that you can go across and have a journey and reach your goals and have the wonderful adventure called life. So it's really important to operate at both levels. So, you know, we need to give people the skills and things to make sure that they don't get overwhelmed by stress and develop things like anxiety and depression. But when we need part two, which is, okay, what's next? How do we really make people flourish, self-actualize, grow, and have really better relationships and so forth? I sent a friend of mine in sport this morning, the Split End song, um, a link to the YouTube clip, Six Months in a Leaking Boat. I said, Thomas, I'm not going to sing that because I'll, I'll have people switching off from the podcast, but we'll play that while I'm chatting. Uh, is six months in a leaking boat, is that what a lot of people in COVID will be going through? Will they feel like it's been six months in a leaking boat? I suppose the, the, the point of bringing that in, what what's too long in a leaking boat? If you've had one or two months in COVID, should you go and get some, you know, see a trained professional? When do you move beyond managing this yourself in a leaky boat? Well, I'd be suggesting if you find that you're in a leaky boat, you put your hand up straight away. It doesn't have to be to a health professional, but let other people know that you're struggling. And that's one of the things that we know with this with COVID is that more people are putting their hands up, which is actually fantastic because it means that there's less stigma attached to that asking for help, which is crucial. So I'd be saying as soon as you feel that you're sinking, you actually put your hand up. And with my clients, that's one of the things, you know, when they're exiting because they've got enough skills, mental skills and so forth to go off on their own adventure, that's one of the things that we do. We talk about how will you know when your boat's leaking and at what point will you re-engage with professional help again or, or not? So, yeah, as soon as you feel that you've got a leaky boat, fix it. Hmm. And in terms of how long, that's, you know, we're all... We're all different, and for some people, they can withstand and endure a lot more than others. There's no right or wrong in any of this. It's about everyone taking that moment to look within themselves and say, "How am I coping today? You know, what are my needs today? Do what do I need to put my hand up or not?" Mm, love it. I love that analogy as well. For any Split Ends fans, we're taking them down memory lane as well with that song. I think it's important though because. We're talking to a lot of different companies now, banks, insurance companies, consulting firms, telcos, uh, government agencies, startups, everything in between all that as well. And, and the, the commonality, here's what we're hearing. One is it's really hard working from home and the disruption to work. Are we at work? Are we not? What are the guidelines? It's gray. Uh, it, it's challenging, homeschooling. The second thing is just this psychological well-being. And, and you know, we're hearing this as well in our programs, Nicola, that people are talking about we need to focus on mental health. But I like hearing you say it's not just the leaky boat part. That's important. Absolutely. I'm not brushing over that. But this whole flourishing, psychologically flourishing, being in flow, connected, engagement, all these words, it's so important that we look at mental health, not just with a deficit model, but, but looking at, at all sides of the spectrum. Love it. And the other yeah. thing we're hearing that people need is fun, a bit of fun and play. It's you know, initially, a lot of companies were saying, this is great. We're not going to have as much of a corporate uh, real estate footprint. We only need two floors rather than five. 
But I think as this goes on longer, this is my feeling, I've seen no research to back this up yet, but we're missing the glue and the glue you get by seeing someone face to face. Yeah, and, and then that has a lag time. So you obviously see people and then you can be away for a while. But that's what people are really missing because online, we know the research says it's twice as cognitively draining having a, a Zoom or a Teams meeting as it is face-to-face. I now change meetings like this, Nicola. I'm putting my finger down, bang, next meeting, bang, next podcast, bang. Whereas in the old days, we'd at least move. So I think that social glue is what people are really missing on top of the lack of play, on top of navigating psychological well-being and also working from home. Gosh, we need you. So what you're describing is that relationships, work relationships have become purely functional or transactional. So it's just about getting a job done. And when we're working with other people, and I mean in physical proximity, you have those other, the glue, but what is that glue? That glue is that that connection, feeling each other's energy. Now that does, I don't mean, woo, woo, oh my gosh, she's talking about energy. The fact of the matter is we do give off energy, right? And we, we pick up on other people's energy, whether you're consciously aware of it or not, but you will be because that's, we're all interconnected. We're all sharing the same air. We're all giving off and receiving energy. And you're missing this connection. And humans are social beings. Like we are we are meant to be in physical proximity with people. We don't even have to talk to each other, but we are energized and share energy and so forth. And, and then we take it the next step because we have those water cooler conversations. I mean, I was just joking because um, with my husband, he's actually working in the dining room. My daughter's on the kitchen and I'm in, I'm in this room. And we're having, we're making water cooler conversations because we realized for our daughter in particular, who started her first professional job and literally two months before lockdown, same thing, you know, she's missing out on some of that stuff. So we're trying, I mean, albeit daggy parents, those little aside conversations are so important to all of us, even if it's how are you? And, and you know, people say, well, everyone says that and it's habit. Well, you know what? It's still a nice habit. Mm. It's a nice habit to have someone in front of us physically saying, how are you? Or, how was your weekend? So it's, it, this is really, for a social or, um, organism, which we are, social animal, this is really challenging. Interesting you're talking about energy. I, I had the opportunity to interview Matt Formston in a panel recently. It was a bike ride ma- raising money for cancer. And Matt went blind at five or six years of age. So up until that time, he had full sight. He played rugby, representative rugby, blind up until 15 years of age. Amazing. He can go into a boardroom and he can tell who's listening, who's not. So if you're in the boardroom and you're looking at your phone, he just picks up the shift in energy and you mm. go, oh, Nicola, is there something that's not really connecting with you? And he said it just throws people massively, right? Because a guy who can't see, I think he's, he said it's like looking through a window and, and scratching the glass, closing your eyes. So it's, it's a little bit of light, but it, nothing like the vision that he had when he was five or six, but an amazing guy. And rather looking that at that with a disability, he looks at it, it's given him a gift. And he talks about energy. He can feel energy. So when we talk about five senses, he says, no, there's six. Yeah. If there's six, there's probably seven. He will walk into a room and pick it up straight away. Amazing. Matt is now the world champion blind surfer. And he goes and surfs. He wants to be the first blind surfer to to go in a massive barrel. Art, like inspiring guy. Inspiring guy. We spoke about energy and playfulness. So let's bring him in. Arch. Archie's my 10-year-old we only just told him a few minutes ago, Nicola, because if I told him at the start, yeah, he would have been knocking on the door. So <laughs> we've got Todd. We're, we're in the office today to record the podcast. So I've got Archie. What we've done is Archie has cut up. If you're watching this on video, there's 12 essential mental skills. Come in, Arch, and join me. So Nicola and I have put together these 12 essential mental skills. And Nicola, for context, I'll just explain 
the 12 essential mental skills for our listeners. Now, the first three are all around self-discovery. So the first one is storytelling. Second mental skill is personal identity. And the third cluster is all around energy management. Now, the next level of foundation skills is about staying calm under pressure and having a sense of belonging. So number four is being calm, five is mindfulness, and six is connectedness. And the third category is what we call performance psychology, which is where we train the mind at that next level to perform consistently under pressure. The number seven is pre-performance routines. Number eight is mental imagery. Nine is all around focus, the opposite of distraction. 10 is optimism. 11 is drive. And mental skill number 12 is confidence. While we've categorized those from numbers one to 12, it's really important to emphasize that you don't just build number one storytelling and keep going sequentially until you get to confidence. You draw on the different mental skills when you need them in different parts of your day. So there's 12 essential mental skills. We've got Arch to cut these up. Now, Nicola, here's where we're going to have some fun. Archie's going to pick out three, and you and I are then going to focus on three. Perfect. How are you going, Archie? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Perfect. So, Archie, how's your day been today? My day has been pretty good. Um, homeschooling's been a bit on and off um, with all of the uh, lockdown and everything, and it's been pretty hard for all of us, I could imagine. But uh, just trying our best to do my best and just hopefully we'll get through it. Wow. Out of, that's wisdom. What have we been doing as a family to try and get through this? Um, We've just been having conversations with... Like if something comes across our path, like ups or downs or anything, we've just been doing, as Dad mentioned earlier, like mindfulness and doing fun things together that makes us appreciate everything more. And I think you've been doing lots of exercise too, oh, haven't yes, you? a lot of exercise. <laughs> anything out there is better than in here. Yeah. Well, I met you after you'd walked a marathon, I think. How many steps did you do the other day? I did 26,000 wow. one time and wow. I've been going down to the Oval and been doing 10 laps and then trying not to ruin my new shoes but been doing soccer without realising it. <laughs> Sounds like a perfect um, perfect time for me. Yeah. Got anything else you want to say to people listening to this? Because Nicola and I are talking about especially COVID and psychological wellbeing, so with families and people. Have you got any other tips? Yeah, Um. just to try our best to get through everything and I'm sure it'll go sometime but just thinking about appreciating what we've got even more it's what COVID shows us just appreciating those uh, points in life wise do words you want, do you want to host the rest of this podcast and I'd love to, to but <laughs> you might want to take over thank you Arch for joining us can you pick out three and then hand it to me. Come here in the camera so I can see. Yep. So the first one is? Drum roll. Do we need a drum roll? Ooh. First one, storytelling. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Second one is connectedness. Ooh, Nicola's going to love that one. And the third one is, ooh, this is a bit different. This is one that when we first put together, Nicola, we had some different views and then we spoke about oh. it and we came up with a really nice middle ground, pre-performance routines. So we've got storytelling, connectedness and pre-performance routines. Awesome, Arch. Go back and finish your schoolwork and we'll go for a walk <laughs> and play handball after. Thanks, Archie. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Bye. Bringing game show techniques to radio or to podcasting. 
So Nicola, storytelling, connectedness, pre-performance routines. How do you want to do this? Where do you want to start? Do you want to take one, me take one, or will you do it and unpack it together? I think we should do them together because we come at things from slightly different perspectives, but together it's very rich. Okay, awesome. Well, I might even just give a bit of context. Working with Parramatta and working with other athletes uh, around mental skills, as I said earlier in this interview, there's three things you can train. Number one, you can train your craft. That's your job or your sport. The second thing, we, we train our body. So it'd be foreign in a sporting team to say, oh, do you have a strength and conditioning department? Of course, the last 10 years that's been embedded. The third thing is you can absolutely train mental skills. Now, in the corporate world, in sporting world, it's largely been, oh, he's strong, she's not. She's powerful in her emotions. He gets had by his emotions and carry on. But rubbish. We know you can train the way you think. Uh, we know you can totally train the way you approach pressure, You know, lean into pressure rather than run away from it. So we started chatting, and while I've been back in the sporting world doing this stuff, and I just said, well, Nicola, what do you think? And you throw something around and went, oh, I think we should do something together. And you said, what are you, th- what are you, what are you thinking? I went, I think we need to create an academy around mental skills. What should we call it? <laughs> Bing, Mental Skills Academy. And then when we started exploring, we looked at those three levels. Self-discovery is about knowing you, your thoughts, and, and the basics around energy. The next level is all around staying calm under pressure and having that sense of belonging connection. And the third level is the higher order performance psychology. And we both agreed that in performance and sports psychology, and, and I think even in in, in traditional psychology, we often go to the what we consider the trendy stuff or what we've just learned, like neuroscience. Everything is neuro at the moment, right? It must drive you crazy because someone does a, a two-day course and they're suddenly putting neuro in front of their title. You've spent, you've got five degrees and 20 years of studying. But the point being, we go for the trendy stuff, the newer stuff first, rather than starting with building the base. So that's how we built it. 12 essential mental skills. We have a calculator that people can do. They get a score out of 100 and it shows them where they are. We're not labeling someone. We're actually giving it to them, showing here's your strengths, here's the areas you can develop and you can train your brain just like a normal body part. In fact, we call it an iOS upgrade, like you do with your mobile phone, regularly plugging it in, getting an upgrade. You can do exactly the same for your mental skills. So just a bit of context for people, how we came about this. Anything else you want to add before we dive into the three? Well, I just think of it as mental skills. It's like having a toolkit to get you through life. Right, so each mental skill is in, a, in in your toolbox, and depending on what's going on, you may rely on some of the skills more than other skills. But you're going to need all of them at some point to help you get through this this wonderful gig called life. And I don't know whether it's just me because I'm living, breathing this like on a daily basis. But the Olympics, there were so many <laughs> examples, right? Oh yes. Like the men's 100 metres, the fastest before the Olympics was Bramel, the fastest qualifier, the Chinese athlete Su, came last in the final. And then Jacobs, who no one had heard of, hadn't even broken 10 seconds uh, in 2020, uh, comes out and runs a 9.8. So just unbelievable. And, and he talks about Jacobs, how he used to lose his legs it's in his Italian accent, but now he keeps his legs because he focuses on the mental side. So and that's just one. I could fill up this whole podcast with Olympics moments. Uh, Paddy Mills talk. Oh, I just get goosebumps. Right. Well, I'm going to, um, surprising, but I've got, I'm going to use a, an Olympic example as well. So if if we think about the 12 mental skills, I think we should probably start at the basic level, and that's the storytelling. And I was actually talking to a client yesterday who was struggling a bit with um, substance misuse, and she admitted that she's very critical. And I said, well, that's what we call your inner narrative. It's the story you tell yourself about your life. And it's really important that that story is positive. It doesn't mean that you don't critically 
think about things as in like what worked, what doesn't work. So you still critique what you're doing, but it's got to be, you, you know, you've got to be your biggest fan and your greatest supporter. And, and I was thinking of an example to, to help this resonate. And I said to her, did you watch the Olympics? And of course she said, yes. And I said, well, did you watch the women's 1600 metres? Because that woman who fell, right? Now, when she fell, um, I'm assuming people saw this, it was, it was in one of the heats. So she fell. And if she had a really negative, critical, self-destructive inner voice, her, it may have sounded something like this, oh, you idiot, you've fallen over, you've screwed this up, this is a once-in-a-lifetime chance, you've really blown it, oh, my gosh, you're a failure, you're a loser, this is terrible. Clearly, she didn't have that inner narrative voice because she got up and she won the race. Her inner narrative voice was obviously saying, you've got this. You've trained hard. This is yours. You can do this. It's okay. Get up. You're going to win. So I just think that's a really powerful example of how your inner narrative can actually make you win the medals or if it had been negative, completely destroys your goals yeah i love that story that's unusual you're going with a sporting example i, am. And I I'm, thought i'd I'm, surprise you i'm not i'm going to surprise you i'm going to go for the day-to-day <laughs> example in COVID, when someone wakes up and they turn on the news and they hear about the COVID count is up and then that inner voice starts oh god i'm not going to see my parents at christmas oh i'm not seeing my colleagues oh i'm sick of my husband wife partner kids flatmate family members and so on Oh, I'm feeling stink. Oh, I've got jet lag. Oh, oh, oh. And it spirals down. You know, we talk about broaden and build theory. When you find yourself having negative thoughts in COVID, first of all, it's perfectly normal. Like Nicola and I teach this. Do we have negative thoughts, Nicola? Absolutely. We've just got better at, first of all, recognizing them and then reauthoring or asking, why am I having this negative thought? So becoming the inner coach on this. And again, I've been doing a lot of this with athletes. When I first do it, Nicola, you know, when the negative voice comes in, first of all, just, just suspend. You know, Gordon Spence at Sydney University calls this the traffic light, you know, where you got we go from green to red, great or it's terrible, great or it's you know, good or bad, but an orange light, just pause, you know, mm. suspend. No and then judgment. Ask, yeah, why? Well, no judgment. Why am I having this thought? Because it's COVID. I haven't seen my family. Is it normal? Yeah, I'm tired and fatigued and business is suffering and everything else. But where's the evidence? So you start to build a case around this. And even as Archie, a 10-year-old, just focusing on some of the stuff we have got. So there's a process where you can narrate yourself through. And it's really clunky when you start this. Journaling is amazing, has been shown to really fast track that awareness of inner voice. Uh, but even if you just catch your thoughts and be aware that, okay, there is stuff going on. I'm not feeling great, but you know, perspective is everything. What can I then do? So you can go through that process and steer yourself back out. Well, you may not feel great, but you might be a six or seven out of 10 rather than spiraling down to a two or a three. And Nicola, I think that's so, so important right now that people know that, look, having negative thoughts is perfectly normal, but thoughts are not facts. And dispute the thoughts, dispute the facts, where's the evidence? And over time, you can really coach yourself around it. And I love getting a message, normally from a male, because women go, yeah, look, I know this, I've just got off it. Whereas guys go, oh, I didn't realize that. You get a text message, oh, this shit's really good, Maisie, just did this. And you can see that confidence or uh, Banduria would call self-efficacy goes up when you start to be able to use this yourself. And that's the most important thing, right? Narrative. We're all amazing storytellers. Just don't let them carry you away, especially down that negative path.
That's right. And it's not just, um, like you're saying, dealing with the, the short story about what's presenting to me now in this moment, but also that bigger background conversation you're having with yourself in terms of self-efficacy, which you've touched on, and, and worthiness and lovability. It's about crafting a story where you feel okay in your own skin, you have the belief to manage and, and move forwards. Because one of the things that happens is people become overwhelmed by their emotions. And, and rather than moving forwards and developing a conversation and, and I feel like identifying issues or problems or things that they, they can improve and fix, they just they stay in the um, uh, emotional place. And they, the, the narrative just becomes a conversation about emotion and feeling. Now, there's, our emotions are perfect. They all serve a purpose, but emotions are messages. Right? That's all they are. And sometimes we build a whole story around a message. Like it's like you see, I'll pick up on your stop sign. It's like you've stopped at the traffic lights and then the traffic light changes colour and you don't move forwards with the green light. You're still going, there was a red light, there was a red light, there was a red light, there's a red light. The, the emotion is the message and then you go, okay, I've got the message how do I go forwards in my journey with that information? So your narrative has to constantly be positive in the sense that it supports your strengths. No one's ever solved a problem with weakness. I mean, you don't say, oh, I need a builder, so I'm going to get an electrician. You know, we we solve problems and move forwards with strengths and they have our strengths. So it's about identifying your strengths and crafting a story that will propel you forwards in a way that's helpful and, and suspending that judgment. And, and being a neutral, and if you can dial it up a bit more to be a bit more of, a, of your greatest fan, even better. Dr. Gordon Spence, it's choice points that Gordon talks about. Now, we could we could explore, and I want to go into personal identity and energy management. We'll be going for two or three hours. We are going to do a podcast as part of our Mental Skills Academy program, which when people do that, either our face-to-face option, Mental Skills Academy, three months. At the moment, it's all virtual, but when we get back to whatever normal is, it'll be hybrid, plus we've got a digital platform, but we're recording a bit of content for that. So if you like this content and you want more, go to andrewmay.com slash mental skills academy. You can find out how to bring Nicola to your work <laughs> and to your life on a daily basis. Let's go to connectedness. Yeah, one of my pet topics, isn't it? One of your pet topics, it's the last essential mental skill we put in because we had in that middle row on foundation skills originally being calm mindfulness and breathing and you said Andrew something's not right and I said "Mm, explain and you said communication is a mental skill it's a trainable skill and do you really need breathing I was like no you can't get rid of breathing Nicola (laughs) (laughs) I started no breathe box breathing because she's going to kill my darling because I'm loving breathing as as Archie said we do it at night with the kids and they, they sleep they sleep so much better amazing right the kids because they're in the same bedroom sharing and they often add each other every night we do calm and do some breathing they go to bed everyone's so much better we're all doing it now it's wonderful but we've now put breathing into a subset under mindfulness and it's also important on being calm but you won and rightfully um, on this conversation because it's such an important thing it's so obvious now looking at it but connectedness communication is a mental skill it is and communication isn't just about talking it's actually about listening as well so it's about being in actively present with another human being and, and and it doesn't even involve talking all the time it can just be present you know giving your attention to someone and with that is time so giving your attention to someone is, is a significant gift and so we are as i've already mentioned earlier on and yes um, we can always talk for a long time on all of these we are social beings and it's really important to be in positive 
healthy relationships. You know, the research shows that a good relationship improves your life, you know, increases your immune system and helps you manage stress better. Toxic relationships obviously have the opposite effect, but our connection to other people is, is a skill. Managing conflict, you know, most relationships break down because of poor conflict resolution. All relationships have conflict, whether it's a, you know, a, a little aggravation or might be perceived as a little aggravation or, or a large and significant transgression. All relationships have conflict. So resolving conflict and, and communicating clearly is absolutely a skill that's essential for well-being and, and it's a mental skill for yourself. <laughs> How does a neuropsychologist go resolving conflict with her family? Now, you might say, Andrew, do not oh. ask a personal question. But like, did, did your family, because my uh, Mickey said to me, Dad, she said recently, oh, I got angry. I can't even remember what it was, but dad, use your mental skills. Oh, <laughs> like, okay. Well, no, I get, the, I get the opposite actually, because, um, you know, as, as a psychologist, one of the things you do is you remind everybody that, you know, you're a good person, they're a good person, everyone's a good person. And it's the communication or the interrelating that's a problem. So my kids tease me now, they're in their 20s, um, and I actually did this the other day. When there's a, a breach, a transgression, or an annoyance or whatever, but that needs to be vocalised, I will still get out a piece of paper and I do little characters. I said, this is you, you're a good, gorgeous person. This is me, I'm a faulted person who tries to be good and gorgeous. You know, we've accepted that. This, And they just say, mum, not the drawings anymore. And I go, I'm just showing that this isn't about personal people. This isn't personal. This is a joint problem that we can walk around and poke sticks at and try and look at it from 360 degree angle and, you know, keep it manageable. And they just, they roll their eyes. So I don't get, bring on your mental skills. I get, oh, can you just, you know, just shout and swear and be normal? So yeah. people, are, most people obviously be listening to this, but we also make this available on a video cast. Those people who are watching the video will see you getting into character and animation when you're talking about that. I can just see you <laughs> doing that with your kids and then uh, going spare. But laughter is one of the best things to, as an antidote to stress. So in your way, whether it's a method or madness, you're getting them to laugh and have fun and get out of conflict. Nicola's nodding profusely. Hey, I've got one for you. I, I wanted to ask you this um, outside the podcast, but I'll share it now. A mate of mine I spoke with on Sunday, James Patterson, uh, with my first corporate gig when James was back with CB Richard Ellis 14 or 15 years ago. I met him um, when I was with the Australian cricket team and he booked me for my first corporate gig. And James has just got a new role, CEO of Knight Frank, and we're talking on the weekend, both walking to the bakery to get coffees. Uh, didn't get croissants or other stuff, did we, James? No. So phone meeting, having a chat on Sunday. He's just started as CEO of an organisation with about 1,000 people. Uh, and I said to him, how are you going connecting? You know, what, what are you doing to connect virtually? He said, oh, look, I'm looking at a whole bunch of things. He said, but have you got any tips? I said, oh, well, I'm actually catching up with Nicola this week a few times, so I'm going to ask you on the podcast. So for someone like James, who's starting at a new organisation as a CEO, or there's you know, lots of people are starting, haven't seen colleagues, they haven't been in the office, how can you bring some of that connectivity or that glue, maybe give an example as a CEO or a leader, and what could a team member do to get more connectivity while we're working virtually? Wow, okay. And you can what see why I handball to you. Well, yeah, but I'm thinking, gosh, give me five hours and I could come up with a really, you know, the answer is much bigger than the time allows, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, I, and I'm not sure of all the constraints involved. But, you know, I was just liking this because, as you know, I'm an apiarist, so I keep bees. And one of the things is 
in beehives, if, if they get too big and the queen can't actually make contact with every member in the beehive, the actual hive stops functioning very well and it becomes quite dysfunctional and they may actually get another queen. So you might have an internal revolt. The, the old queen might actually leave and say, well, I'll just leave you to it and take some of her friends with her and go. So it's really, so human society is no different. A business organisation is no different. It doesn't matter how big or how small it is. So it is really important to have those touch points, just like the queen bee. You know, you've got to have the touch points with all, all the workers um, in the system. So, you know, if you're new, obviously, that can be really difficult because there are already systems in place and you can get that resistance. You're the new bee and you're interview, introducing change. But just think of you know of, of, of connecting with everybody so maybe you do a, a virtual friday nights introduce you know introduction zoom that people can just just chit chat just so it's not formal but have like like the, it's like the water cooler conversation or friday night drinks or something like that just do something or do a, a virtual trivia night and you could get the difference a big organization you could have different teams across different departments within the organization and you know every department so they already have cohesion but you could be the quiz master or something so i'm just thinking of more social ways to connect in a, in a fun way because bringing joy and play is really really important and you know people relax in those situations so it's really easy less confronting way to to meet new people and for them to meet you if you make it well james will be happy because i had a cooking class with a celebrity chef last week and he said that was fantastic he emceed and he was trying to cook in his kitchen and made a disaster of it and was talking through so just tell him to that. get a couple of funny hats or something and be the quiz master and put you know just because if you can show that you don't think if you're not precious about yourself or something you know he changes hats depending on whether it's a geographical question versus something else question so it, his employees i mean he doesn't have to do this but what i'm saying is he's he's showing his that Bring he's his human and he's open by changing hats and and he can be the quiz master or something i don't know and um and by allowing people to be in their departments they will feel familiar but he's still introducing himself in a way that's fun and brings joy yeah and what about for team members who are struggling on this whole remote and, and we've done loads of podcasts you and I loads of segments for our digital programs but one we spoke about was introverts versus extroverts in COVID the introverts if they've got a, a nice home or apartment and they've got means you know financial means and a job and security they're loving it they don't want to go back to work extroverts are hanging out going oh my god latest update x hundred ah, how many they're counting down until we go back and a lot of us are in between what would you give a tip whether it's introverts extroverts or just people in general in a team how to get more connectivity during COVID? Well, it's the same sort of things you might do, you know, with other family members. You know, you can still have lunch meetings and things like that, or it can be around work things. One of the things is to manage risks. And one of the risks is that people feel isolated or they feel that leaders are engaging more with some members than other members. So, you know, the imagination can start running rife and it can increase stress. So I say prevention is better than trying to cure. So I would talk about saying, hey, look, if you're feeling isolated or having trouble put up your hand you might have a, a check-in hour so maybe on Wednesday afternoon or something you're going to have check-in time and anyone who wants to can contact the leader or the senior for whatever reason if everyone's you know sort of on a horizontal then maybe as a group you say well let's do have a, a chill out Tuesday and we can bring concerns or anything just a free-for-all um, time together um, and then obviously making sure that everyone knows what supports you've got within your organisation, whether it's your EAP, whether you outsource or HR or anything like that, but just reminding people, hey, very aware that this is becoming 
uh, demanding and stressful for people. And, you know, just make it normal. Very aware. We are. Everyone's very aware. We hear it in the news. We know that people are really struggling. So say, I know that people are struggling. It might be you. It might not be you. But just reminding you, these are the resources we've got available within this organisation. If you don't want to talk to anyone, just reminding you, I know you all, and, you know, I always play dumb. I know you already know this already, but there's Lifeline or there's these all these other organisations just to, to make sure that if anyone needs it, they can. And then, you know, that's if you like, that's the below the line, plugging the gaps in the boat, and then make sure you do the above the line, the joys, the connectedness, the doing the other activities. Do you the remember sales. the one topic that you've coached leaders on in our leader huddles that has had more positive feedback, more interaction than any other thing you've taught all of our clients in the last 18 months online? Are you asking me to guess? Yeah. Which one? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I kind of started thinking post-traumatic growth, but I'm not sure. No. Oh, it's, it's, it's talking to someone online. Are you okay? Yeah, fine. Move on. So, okay. Yeah. All right. I, th- I think we've got to cover that. So what Andrew's talking about is, and you know, you have to make sure you're in the right position to ask the question. So if your energy is not right, then don't go about asking other people to hear their difficulties. Like you have to practice some self-protection here. But when you're in the right place and you're checking in with people and often People might say, yeah, I'm fine. If you say, are you okay? They say, are you fine? If you are concerned about them or just as a safety check, come back and ask them to say, oh, that's good to know because I know other people are really struggling. What are you doing that's helping you to be okay? There's two reasons to do that. One is because you're validating that they're doing something implicitly by asking them. So it's a really good validation. They get to tell you. So it you know, you get, well, actually, I guess that's three things. They get to tell you so you do learn a skill or something that you can take to other people in the team. But importantly, if they're not okay, they won't, and they've just said it as a defence, like it's the wall that comes up, they, they actually won't be able to say what they're doing. And, you know, allow the pause. It's Sometimes it's nice, it's graceful to give people an out because they might not feel that they can talk at that time. So offer them a door, a grace to exit. So you might say you know what, you can get back to me later when you think about it. So that's your grace to say, I can see that this is, you might be uncomfortable. You can leave and that's okay because you've made that human connection. You've shown that you're open. And then you could say, you know, some of the other th- people are doing these things. So as, as an example, you're actually helping them even though you might not feel so obvious that you are. If, does mm. that make sense? It's all very subtle, but if you run it through, you'll actually see that it really, really works. And what I took out of that learning is, because I think Are You OK Day is great, and there's a lot of mental health programs. There's a lot more for men now as well, acknowledging it is yeah. OK to not always be OK. But what I took out of that with my male monkey mind is, you know, Nicola, are you OK? Yeah, OK, tick the box. Let's move on to the agenda. Yeah, yeah that's right. Nicola, are you OK? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, Explain more. What have you done the last week for fun or joy or laughter or what's okay? So I think it's just going that next layer in 2D because I can see you when you come to the room. You know, you've got the colourful scarf and the, you're looking vibrant, got the energy. You, that, that sixth sense we spoke about, you can feel the energy. It's really hard on a screen in 2D. So you can just go, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Move on. But I love going that next layer. And I also have that, that off-ramp is a good one as well, giving someone permission to come back if they don't feel comfortable right now. So psychological safety. Awesome on connectedness pre-performance routines now this is the one that when we first started with this one while I didn't have in connectedness and now it's so obvious you were not sure about pre-performance routines and whether you had done them with your clients fill in the rest of the story 
Yeah, because and it's funny because we had quite a semantic conversation, didn't we, about what performance means? And and um, and I was thinking from a psychological perspective, if people feel they're performing, often they don't feel they're being their true and genuine self, which isn't what we're talking about at all. But you know, it's really interesting to 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 hear these sort of different perspectives. And um, and I remember scratching my head, thinking, oh, this is Andrew's the jock side of Andrew, the person who's worked with all these amazing sports teams and and sports individuals coming out. And then when we chatted, we actually did realize that we're talking about the same thing, but it was a different language. So in in psych speak, I often have clients who have some event coming up, and it could be a job interview, it could be you know a work appraisal. I had a government advisor having to go and attend a tribunal and they were very nervous. And I didn't call it a pre-performance routine, but I called it something else. So what I was working with my clients was about them visualising. And when I say visual, I don't just mean, you know, vision in terms of one sense, but them imagining themselves and preparing for an event. So running it through their heads and preparing for it, anticipating presenting their best self in these dynamic environments. And we realise it's very similar. But, you, you know, you remind me about what, what you were meaning by pre well, I think I have the, the jocular lens on it. So if you're the brain nerd, I'm sometimes the jock nerd. Doesn't quite sound the same, does it? Or the physiology nerd. So pre-performance routine specific to sport is what an athlete does in the 60 to 90 minutes before the game, the race. That's the most critical part. But you've also got what they do the night before and there's a lot of rituals athletes will have and routines. It's also what they do after to recover. But but specifically, the, the area I do a lot with players is in that sort of 90 minutes to two hours in, in, in NRL where there's a physical warm-up, there's a psychological warm-up and we bring in all parts of the model. They don't sit in isolation. The Yerkes inverted U hypothesis. So you've got the vertical axis is performance and the horizontal axis is alertness or arousal. And Nicola, I'm even trying to do this reverse to camera, confusing my mind. But what we want is five in that sweet spot between being ultimate levels of alertness and performance. Now, when you go too far over, it's excited energy. And that's where your performance diminishes. Now, if you're not in the zone, uh, at around a three out of 10, you know, you're tired, fatigued, or you're not there psychologically, performance diminishes. So it's getting in that sweet spot of performance. I could talk about sporting examples, but it may not have relevance for some of our listeners. So an example I'm going to include on this one, I don't know whether I've told you this story. A number of years ago, this story starts with, I was taking my makeup off. Do you want me to keep going? I've yeah, got your attention. Yeah, yeah. I've got the, I'm wondering about the colour of the wig. <laughs> I just done uh, my regular segment on ABC News Breakfast. I was in Melbourne. I was actually in the dressing room uh, with lovely Kerry, the makeup and hair artist. I only need one of those things. I'm taking my makeup off and I've got the wipes and my phone rings. It was a CEO I'd work with. And I answered and said, oh, hey, mate, I'm... How are you? He said, yeah, good. I just saw your segment. Um, what are you up to? I said, I'm taking my makeup off. And he went, I've right, too much information. I said, look, let me get out of here. I've just got to have a quick chat. Uh, and then I'll give you a call in 10 minutes. As I'm walking back across the Yarra, I rang him. And he said, just watching what you did, the segment about you know performance moments and getting ready, can I get you to work with one of my team? It's my CFO. I said, okay, what does he need? He said, he needs presentation skills. And I've told him he needs to work with you. I said, okay. So I rang him the following day and let's say the CFO was totally disengaged, thought I'm some guy on who's done sport and doing a bit on TV and thought I'd have no connection with a CFO who does serious financial numbers in a top 50 ASX organisation and market updates. 
So we had the first discussion. He didn't want to be talking to me. I didn't want to take him on as a client either, Nicola, but I told the CEO I'd look after him. We were like two goats running at each other and headbutting. But when I sat back and got out of the emotion, he was, he was very rude in that first meeting. But when I showed some compassion, I realized he was coming out of fear. So he was quite anxious about his job and felt threatened that I knew the CEO and thought I would judge him. He's actually a really nice guy underneath. We just had to you know, get rid of all the bullshit and strip it back and look at some skills to help him develop as a person. And once he looked at that as skills training, and I, I can remember we had that talk, he let go and then put it into practice. And I'm really proud of where he got to. But it was, you know, you sometimes you get it's probably different in psychology, but in coaching, you have the first initial brief. And I'm very clear on, I don't think every coach should be working with every person and vice versa. So it's important to have that needs analysis. But I told the CEO I'd work with him. And I was actually sitting there, oh, I don't know whether I want to work with this guy, but I've actually loved working with him. So a ASX listed organization market updates normally around 8.30, 9 o'clock. And so I, I went backwards on his pre-performance routine. What time do you get out of bed? He said, oh, I'm a, a night owl. I don't like mornings. Um, so I get out of bed at the last minute. I drive to work. What music do you listen to? Uh, ABC 702 classic. Okay, keep going. Do you have breakfast? No. Do you get any sunlight or walk? No, not of a morning. I'm not a morning person. Have a coffee and some toast and then he does the market update. Okay, and I got a, I got a copy of one of his updates. He was terrible, shocking, just reading the numbers and the figures. I said, come back and see me next week. I don't think it's a presentation problem. I think you've got a body clock and a pre-performance routine problem. Come back the next week. I said, all right, you're going to get up at 6 a.m. I don't like getting up early. I said, well, people don't like your updates, so you're going to change this. You're going to listen to Triple M or play some rock music. Oh, I don't like that. Well, mate, people don't like you when you listen to 702. Everything was his counterbalance, and I think he was doing it for fun. You're going to go for a walk for 15 minutes, get some sunlight. Uh, I need you to have a protein. We've got a protein smoothie. And then I gave him a few little things uh, as well as around performance because he was reading and you'd work with people on this, right? News readers, actors. And if if they don't go on muscle memory and knowing that they've done the work, that's confidence, right? Confidence is one, knowing you've done the work and two, backing yourself. He wasn't backing himself. He was thinking he had to talk the numbers. No, no, the analysts were there. They wanted to hear the story. Where's the company going? They can look at the spreadsheet. And I said, look, don't go deep in the numbers. Get a few bullet points. That was his pre-performance routine. I get a phone call three months later from the CEO. What have you done with insert name here? Uh, he said, his presentation skills, what you've done is amazing. Th thank you. I said, I did nothing with his presentation skills. He just had a terrible pre-performance routine and his body clock was out of whack. I did a little bit on presentation. And he said, um, like he's gone from really bad to, to, to average. He said, for a CFO, that's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> um, but the point being, it was his pre-performance routine that was totally, and it, it, I'm not just getting a bit theatrical on this, it, it was impacting his job to the point he would have lost his job if he didn't put in a pre-performance routine and understand the importance of getting his body and brain into a better state before the big moment a couple of times a year, which is market update. He just hadn't hadn't put that into to, to meaning in his mind. He just thought, no, I'm the numbers guy. But he yeah. hadn't thought about the presentation. Huge impact that had on him. And it's funny listening to you. There's a couple of things. I mean, I've seen a, a person in the financial industry and they had to make pitches for you know international takeover kind of things. And they were getting more and more nervous and it was the same kind of thing, but the, you talked about the body and the brain and the pre-performance, but he also needed to work on, on his mind because his internal dialogue was setting himself up to fail. So it's all those things, pre-performance, all of those things. But what I was going to say, listening to that story, is that this is exactly mental skills because some of those things we've talked about, this got the mind, the internal dialogue is the storytelling. And this is why 
you know, you need to make sure you get the basics right. You need to make sure you've got the diet. You need to make sure you've got the sleep. You need to make sure you've got the the, the personal story, the storytelling right. And then you you can come up and you come up to the high performance level. And this is exactly what we're talking about. Well, it goes deeper. It goes deeper because I, I ended up coaching the CFO after that, not just in mental skills. He joined my program where I see clients four times a year. We do the first session, an hour, no, 90 minutes or two hours, map out what's the vision for their year, get them to look at a number of areas like their productivity, their mental skills, their energy, their influence, their leadership skills, um, drive. Where are they? Where do they want to be? And we look at that performance gap. So I've worked with him for a, a couple of years now. We did a lot of stuff on self-identity, which is really interesting as you say that because his whole role identity was on the CFO. Uh, and, and I think that was his whole lack of confidence because he hadn't explored other stuff. He's a father. He's a community member. He's now an ocean paddler. He now, you know, he's picked up the guitar again. He's got this really rich tapestry of skills. Oh, by the way, you're the CFO. Whereas he was just coming from that lens. I am my whole role identity. My self-identity is I'm a CFO. And that was holding him back so much. He would have been so boring. And I'm going to give this to him to listen to. You know who I'm talking to. I'm saying this with respect, mate. But you would have been so bloody boring to sit next to at a dinner party. Oh, my God. Now you're fun. Okay. <laughs> but uh, it's mental skills. It's totally changed not only his view of himself, but his story of where he fits in. Yeah. And, you know, if I just sort of because, you know, I like to do this sort of tie up the ends. Not only have we talked about the fact that there's all these different levels to this, but in terms of applying that to our audience here, we're talking about the importance of the, the body, the brain and the mind, how they're all interrelated. And, you know, this is not just about people, us talking to people who are in small businesses and employees and things. This is about people looking after all aspects of their life and making sure that they're looking after themselves in terms of their, their roles, their relationship with themselves, their relationship to their family and so forth. So, you know, great example because it can be extrapolated across to everybody. We've spoken a lot today. First part, why it's so much harder this time around with COVID and you gave some immediate tips. We spoke about part two, mental health is not just mental illness. Love that analogy. Always get new stuff out of you. The leaky boat versus the wind in the sails. So fix the leaky boat, then get the wind in the sails. And you get wind in the sails definitely by focusing on mental skills. We have 12 essential mental skills. We got Arch in to do some uh, game show engagement on the podcast. Archie picked out storytelling, connectedness and performance or pre-performance routines. God, that's only three out of the 12. Um, I think we could pick up, let's do drive, let's do optimism, let's do mindfulness, let's do bank. Uh, um, we're going to do that in our program. So as I mentioned before, if you want more info, go to andrewmay.com slash mental skills academy. I'm going to throw to you, wrap us up on this one. How do you want to end this podcast? Oh, can I go for my 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 favourite, which is, I know I've probably done it before, but, you know, I don't think it can be undervalued. And that's self-kindness, you know, because we know that if we're kind to ourselves, and again, it's that personal narrative as well. If we're kind to ourselves and we care for ourselves, we're better able to care for other people. So, you know, sometimes I hear people saying that they feel selfish. Actually, it's not selfish at all. It's really important to look after yourself. So look in. Look in, identify what your needs are, be kind, address those needs, and then you'll have the strength and the capacity and the skills to look out and care for other people. Love it. And if people do want to track you down on the interweb, where's the best place for them to connect with you? On my, through my website. So Nicola at Brain and Mind Psychology. Nicola at Brain and Mind Psychology.com. 
And if you want to find out more about 30 Day Boost, go to stridestronger.com slash 30 Day Boost. So if you want to get a dose of Nicola, either online or through 30 Day Boost, there's two portals. Hey, as always, lovely catching up. We left this one pretty open with three different areas, but I've loved the chat. Uh, and it was great having Archie as well, like the words or the lessons from a 10-year-old. So we might have to get Arch to do another podcast with us, Nicola, or maybe cut me out, get Archie in. I think you two would do a great podcast together. He's, he's very wise. Very impressive young man, Andrew. Oh, I'm proud. Um, he has some moments like all kids, but I'm very proud of him. Uh, looking for everyone listening to this, going through COVID, timestamp right now. Look, it is challenging. A Hebrew proverb, you've drawn on one of your favourites. I'm going to draw on one of mine. This too shall pass. We don't know when, but do all the stuff that Nicola and I have spoken about today to help you get through this. No man, no woman is an island. Uh, connect with other people and really don't do this by yourself. Nicola, as always, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Hey, it's Andrew again, and we hope you enjoyed that interview. Just a quick note to remember to please go to nab.com.au slash businessfit. We hope you really liked this episode and received lots of value, and we would love it if you can go to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast and click on the subscribe button. We'd also really appreciate it if you share it with friends or colleagues you think might also benefit from these messages. And we'd really appreciate if you can rate and review it. We love seeing your messages and love seeing your ratings. Okay, that's it for this time. We look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode of NAB Business Fit. 